Welcome to Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom, the podcast where I get to interview folks who see the wrong in the world and are driven to make it right. Today's guest is a British attorney who volunteered in an African hospice as a teenager, sending him on a hero's journey in service of others and the defense of justice. We see that there's cuts in funding available internationally for justice work. And so we're asking, what does it look like to raise up lawyers and paralegals from those communities, those who know what prison feels like and smells like, those who are living it and breathing it. They understand what it's like to have hope taken away and they want to be agents of hope to go to the places that others don't want to go, to serve the people that others don't want to serve and to say, I'm here for you. His organization, Justice Defenders, provides legal education and defense to the defenseless. Alexander McLean, right now on Righteous Convictions. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome back to Righteous Convictions. This is a podcast where I have the privilege of interviewing some of my heroes, people who are doing just amazing, amazing stuff in the world for no reason other than that because they can. And today is no exception. Today, I'm going to be interviewing my friend and, you know, just a, a guy who's an absolute beacon of light and hope, Alexander McLean. Alexander, welcome to Righteous Convictions. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be with you. Alexander is a senior TED fellow, an Ashoka fellow. He's been named Young Philanthropist of the Year, one of Times 30 Under 30, Changing the World. I could go on and on. But the most important part is the work that you've done and how you got into it at such a young age. Yeah, the experiences I had as a child growing up in London, the son of a Jamaican immigrant poor, but the British government used to pay for poor but bright children to go to expensive schools. I loved public speaking. I became interested in the law when I was very young, especially through learning about the death penalty in America. And I had incredible experiences in Britain and then later in East Africa, which formed me and led to me being where I am today. And this started when you were 18, I think, is what was really your aha moment, right? You went to Uganda to volunteer at a hospice. I'd been involved in a hospice in London from when I was 16, and I realized very quickly I could learn a lot from those who were coming to the end of their lives. None of us know how much time we, we have, and I really wanted to make the most of each day. 
I read when I was 16 about a hospice in Uganda, Hospice Africa, Uganda, which cares for people dying in their homes around Kampala, taking morphine and other pain relief and food to them. The work sounded incredible. So I wrote asking if I could go and volunteer with them in my school holidays. But they said at 16, I was too young. So I continued. I finished secondary school and the hospice said now I was 18, they'd have me. I got an incredible welcome by this hospice community and initially spent a month with them following their doctors and nurses as they cared for their patients dying in their homes. But one day we went to Uganda's main government hospital. The hospice was taking morphine to a patient there. We went onto this ward. I saw a guy lying on the floor naked on a plastic sheet. I said to a nurse, what's up with him? She said, we think he's in a diabetic coma. The police found him unconscious in a market. We don't know his name. We don't know if he has any family because he doesn't have money. He doesn't get care. I saw he was lying in a pool of urine and the flesh on his bottom and back was rotten down to the bone. He was decomposing while he was still alive because he got no care. I went back to the hospice I was staying at. I spoke to Anne Merriman, the lady who founded it, a former nun, a doctor who's been working in Africa since 1960, someone who shaped me deeply. And she's taught me that we're never too young or old to serve others. And she said, with someone like that guy, he might be dying, but he could die when he feels loved and cared about. So I went back the next day with the help of a nurse trained by the hospice. I bought a basin and some soap and a towel and we washed him together and I got him some clothing. I tried to advocate for him with the doctors that although he didn't have family or money, they might care for him. And for a number of days, I'd wash him and try and advocate. I came one day and he died the night before. He was lying dead and filthy on the floor. And a porter came with a trolley with a dead lady and put the man on top of the lady and said they'd go in a mass grave with everyone else who had no one to bury them. And I called my mum that day and I cried for that guy because I'd never really considered that there are people in our world whose lives were judged to have no value. So my life changed that day and I went on to spend three months on that hospital ward, which was chiefly for patients with AIDS and tuberculosis who'd been abandoned by their families. And it was there that I met prisoners. I saw that in hospital, they could be rejected by the doctors and nurses. They could die of starvation or dehydration because of their prison uniform. And I'd wash them and feed them and try and advocate for them. And all sorts of people came by my side, security guards from the hospice and gardeners and medical students and student nurses. And we created this little group of people who would go and tend to those that others had rejected. And it taught me a lot about community and serving together. And when you're doing work that can feel overwhelming, or the rabbinical saying says, we mustn't get tired of doing work that has no end. And that kind of work and justice work feels like that. I saw there was parent solidarity. And I think that when we get proximate to people, even proximate to those who are accused of crimes or proximate to those whose lives look different from ours, we can't help but be shaped by them. And I was fascinated by prison conditions and I ended up bulldozing my way into Uganda's maximum security prison to see where these guys came from. Right. And that prison, of course, is Lazira prison, which I had the um, distinct honor of visiting with you. Now, um, they wear different colored uniforms, depending on whether they've been sentenced to death or life or something else. And they are wedged into these cells. Well, I'll let you describe it, Alexander, because, you know, I've heard it. We've had Pete Uko on the show. He was, of course, um, wrongfully convicted uh, and sentenced to death in Kenya. And he talked about how they had 13 other men in the cell with him and they had to sleep more or less like sardines in a can. Is that typical? Is that what you witnessed at Luzira? When I first went to Luzira prison, I started by going to death row. It was built to hold 50 and then it had 500 condemned men. I was told that they got the death penalty for crimes including treason and cowardice and mutiny. I heard of a man called Edward Mpaji who'd been sentenced to death for murder. 
after 12 years on death row, it turned out the person he'd killed was still alive. It still took about another six years for him to be released. I heard someone had stolen a mango from a neighbor's mango tree and they used a standing knife to cut it off. They got the death penalty as an armed robber. Very often there were teenage boys, often in prison for having underage sex, which has a maximum penalty of death in Uganda. So I saw that there was massive overcrowding. I heard that many prisoners had never met a lawyer. In Uganda and Kenya and around sub-Saharan Africa, somewhere between 80 and 90% of prisoners will never meet a lawyer. At that time, two-thirds of prisoners in Uganda were awaiting trial, sometimes in prison for many years, occasionally over a decade, awaiting trial. So you've just said a lot of things that I could really benefit from some clarification on. So somewhere between 80 and 90% of prisoners in Uganda, Kenya, and sub-Saharan Africa will never meet a lawyer, which just seems like a crime in and of itself. Two-thirds of prisoners are just awaiting trial, so they haven't been convicted of anything. And without likely ever meeting a lawyer, the outcome of the trial is probably a foregone conclusion anyway. But I'm really struck by some of the charges you mentioned. They sound old-timey, like treason, cowardice, mutiny, and the fact that underage sex between two consenting teenagers can mean the death sentence. I mean, Think about this for a second. Something like three quarters, 75% of human beings lose their virginity before they turn 18. Now, you can't condemn three quarters of humanity to death, right? I mean, where the hell do these laws even come from? Uh, In um, Commonwealth Africa, in former British colonies, the, the laws largely haven't changed since colonial times when the law was around command and control. So people in prison for loitering or being vagrants and vagabonds and debtors or for being gay. I met women whose children had become very unwell. They take them to hospital. There's no medication for them. The child dies and then the mum's arrested for child neglect and taken to prison with her other children. Or women whose husbands have beaten them and beaten them for years. Or the husband's got AIDS and he tries and rapes the wife and then the wife fights back and she finds herself imprisoned. And so... I think it's a consequence of having laws which haven't evolved, having countries whose populations have grown massively over the last decades, which have overwhelmed prison capacity. In Uganda, prisons are at about 300% of capacity. So where one person should be sleeping, there are three. I think for governments which don't have enough resources, very often prisons and criminal justice aren't their priority. And it's expensive to pay for lawyers. And so you find people in prison facing very long sentences or sometimes the death penalty who don't understand the law, don't understand how they can engage with it. Very often we're led to believe that the law is this highly complex thing that we need very qualified lawyers to help us to navigate. But we ask, what does it look like to recognize that the law affects us all from before we're born until after we die? What does it look like to understand that all of us have a right to know the basic concepts of the law? No one should go to court and not know how to address a judge or know that they have a right to ask questions of those who are making accusations against them or if they're convicted to appeal against that conviction. And so we're asking, how do we take that knowledge into the communities which need it the most, into the the communities of those who are poor, those who are minorities or refugees or homeless people or sex workers, the kind of people who tend to be overrepresented in prisons? the law's here for you. The law's here to protect you, not just to hold you to account. You too can understand it because it's going to be a long, long time until most countries around the world will prioritize paying for lawyers for everyone who finds themselves in prison. 
dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Again and again, in my teens and in my 20s, I had experiences in prisons around Africa, seeing things which I couldn't unsee and which I felt I had to respond to. I went to Juba Women's Prison in South Sudan, and as the gate was opened, I saw a woman with chains on her arms and legs. And I said to the officer escorting me, why is she chained up? The officer said, well, we chain up our lunatics. That's about a third of the prison population. As far as I could understand, I could point to anyone, say that I thought that they had a mental health problem there be in prison. They said, we also chain up those who are going to be executed. Although South Sudan was a newly formed country, it was still hanging people. I said, well, what's going to happen to this woman? And the officer said, well, with her and a number of the other women here, she's not done anything wrong. Her husband was accused of a capital crime, but because the police couldn't catch him, the wife was arrested and tried and sentenced to die in his place. And an Australian prison officer working with the United Nations in prisons in South Sudan told me about a five-year-old child swimming in a river with a three-year-old friend. The three-year-old drowned and the five-year-old was arrested and sentenced to death for a murder. So again and again, I saw things which I couldn't really understand. Um, so, so I just felt I had to to respond. And that's how I ended up starting the African Prisons Project, which has become Justice Defenders when I was 21. Around the world, according to the World Justice Project, there are 5.1 billion people who are affected by inadequate access to justice, 253 million people living in situations of extreme injustice, 10 million in prison, 3 million of those waiting for trials. We see that there's cuts in funding available internationally for justice work. And so we're going to be waiting a long time if the solution is that every person in prison must have access to a lawyer. And so we're asking, what does it look like to raise up lawyers and to raise up paralegals from those communities, those who know what prison feels like and smells like, those who are living it and breathing it, and those who want to respond and to do this work, not because it's going to make them rich, not because it's going to make them powerful, but because they understand what it's like to have hope taken away and they want to be agents of hope. And we're asking, how can we equip this community of prisoner and ex-prisoner and prison officer paralegals to go to the places that others don't want to go, to serve the people that others don't want to serve, and to say, I'm here for you. You too deserve to have your voice heard. The law can protect you as well. And so far, we've trained just under 300 prisoner and prison officer paralegals. We've got 39 prisoners and ex-prisoners and prison officers who've graduated with their University of London law degrees, having studied in prison. 
In the first six months of 2021 alone, we've served 13,708 prisoners without adequate representation, resulting in 2,045 of them having been released. And so we see that there are people who are willing to step forward, willing to do the work, willing to serve others who will be trained on the, the job. And as justice defenders, we ask, how do we equip them? How do we give them access to knowledge and skills? We used to do it in person. With COVID, we've been taking this work online and offering paralegal courses online, training prisoners and prison officers with law degrees online, facilitating virtual court attendance, establishing online case management systems, because we see that there's a, a justice crisis around the world. And we see that there are people who are willing to step forward and to respond. I sense that you have the same feeling that I get, which is that when I visit prisons and people moreover in the prisons in the United States, I often come out feeling like there's more humanity in a certain sense inside those walls than outside. When I first started this work, I looked on prisons and those that I met as being filled with people who needed help, whose circumstances looked desperate. But actually, as I gained um, understanding, I saw that prisons were filled with people who had gifts and talents and skills and gifts that they were offering others. People in prison have been my, my teachers and they've educated me about resilience and courage and compassion and perseverance and determination and so much more. Again and again, I came across these examples of prisoners who were serving others, leading the prison football team or having little farming projects to grow extra food or leading the prison church or, or mosque or caring for their fellow prisoners when they were sick. And I, I saw that prison officers were doing the same. Uh, and so I saw that prisons were filled with people who have this incredible potential to offer their families, their communities, but also wider society. William, one of my colleagues who was on death row in Kenya for many years said, in prison there are brains that can move mountains. Saint Oscar Romero said there are certain things that can only be seen with eyes that have cried. And we saw that someone who knows what it is to have their fingernails pulled out in the police station, or to be years in prison without a trial, or to get sentenced to death but never to get a copy of their judgment, has this desire for justice that comes from their first-hand experience. And so our work started shifting about 10 years ago towards equipping prisoners and prison officers with legal knowledge, training them as paralegals through a three-week paralegal course in criminal law, but also giving them access to formal law degrees, studying with the University of London by correspondence, as Mandela did from his prison cell in, in South Africa. And that's now our focus as justice defenders. We've wound up our other health and basic literacy work just to focus on equipping those with lived experience of conflict with the law, with legal knowledge to serve their communities. So the defenseless become the defenders. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. I mean, the numbers are absolutely staggering. The number of people that you've been able to help, the number of people you've been able to free. And I was able to participate in a, I guess it was a Zoom, some sort of a 
video conference uh, where you sort of looped me in with people in different prisons. And I was struck, first of all, by the fact that that doesn't exist in America. Somehow or other, you've been able to get internet inside the prisons in Africa. We can't do that here. Here we have this janky collect call phone systems. It's, you know, it's, but I was also struck, Alexander, by the fact that the guards seem to be you know, not just willing participants, but active participants in this process of trying to help the people who they are in charge of overseeing or whatever you want to call it. Was I wrong about that? That's spot on. We train prisoners and prison officers side by side as paralegals. And in our law classes, we equip prison officers to go to court and um, speak on behalf of prisoners who don't have uh, anyone to, to speak for them. The head of Uganda Prison Service said to me a few years ago, We've got the gallows, we've got the executioners, but we can't be sure if we're hanging anyone that they're actually guilty of any crime because we know that our criminal justice system is broken. Senior officers in the Kenya Prison Service say, we estimate about half of our prisoners are here innocently. They've not had representation at trial. We want you to train our prison officers in law so they can work on appeals because our prisons are massively overcrowded and we, we can't actually cope. And so we see that there's this appetite for justice from prison services and prison officers as well as from prisoners I don't think anyone finds joy going to work as a prison officer, being with people who you know haven't got justice and feeling that you're powerless to do anything about it. And so that's why we're really committed to equipping prison officers to play their role in working for justice. And I think now, globally, we're asking, in light of COVID, what does it look like to rebuild our societies on this foundation of access to justice, on a foundation of the rule of law? Since George Floyd's death and in light of Black Lives Matter, I think we're thinking about the idea that we can't have peace without justice on a micro or macro level in new ways. And we love to bring together prisoners and prison officers who are working with us as paralegals or as law students or graduates with prosecutors and with judges, with the police and others involved in delivering justice in that community. Wherever possible, we do it over a meal. And we ask, how do we work together to create a community that's just? No one gains when innocent people are imprisoned. And if people are guilty, we want them to have due process. We think if it's possible for that to happen with death row inmates in Uganda, what would that look like with death row inmates in Alabama um, coming together with guards and with judges and with prosecutors and with police officers and dreaming about what justice looks like in that community? And so I'm excited by the changes which are happening in America. Over the last six months, we've been approached by prisoners in 22 different US states asking for our support asking for us to train them as paralegals. We've had approaches from another 17 countries beyond that and 13 non-governmental organizations, including the UN. And there are, there's this growing group of formerly incarcerated Americans who are using the law to serve their communities who have this hunger for justice. And we're excited to stand in solidarity with them to understand how we can equip and support and learn. Yeah, and I've read that your goal is by 2030 to help a million people get fair hearings, and also to have expanded justice defenders work even further around the globe in developed as well as developing countries and in prisons, refugee camps, homeless shelters, and brothels. I can't think of a more noble goal than that. We're going to put all the information for people to donate to Justice Defenders. And, and of course, the website is uh, justice-defenders.org. And you can go there to get involved, to volunteer to learn, to donate. I hope everyone will click on the link that will be, as I said, in our bio. So now we have 
two last things. I promise this is it, and then I'll let you go back to work. <laughs> so <laughs> the, my favorite question that I ask on this show of all of our wonderful guests is if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing, what would it be? Let me tell you a short story. When I was eight or nine, I went to my local library with my dad and I picked up a book and there was an African-American guy being strapped into the electric chair by a group of white men in suits with these wide leather straps all over his body. And there wasn't a mask over his face yet, but the look in his eyes was expressionless. It was like he was dead before he'd actually been executed. I realized that's the power that the law can have to strip hope or agency or life from us. As I look to the future, I hope for an end to the death penalty. But I also hope that around the world, there's no one whose eyes are lifeless like that. I hope that we can raise up a new generation of paralegals and lawyers with lived experience who serve those that others refuse to serve. So everyone feels that the law is for them, that they have a chance to tell their side of the story before they're convicted or punished. Amen to that. And thank you, Alexander McLean, for the incredible work you do with Justice Defenders, and of course, for sharing your story with us. And to our audience, please join us here next week, where we will speak with a tremendous figure in education, civil rights, and the Black Lives Matter movement, DeRay McKesson. And now we turn to the closing of the show, something we call words of wisdom. And it works like this. I turn my microphone off, kick back in my chair, and just listen anything else you want to share thank you for sharing this conversation uh, with me jason thank you for what you role model in terms of being an advocate for justice uh, and your commitment and your perseverance and to anyone who's listening to this show which maybe you feel angry or challenged or frustrated or confused by what you've heard my encouragement is that each of us can play a part in creating the community that we want to be part of a community where no one innocent is imprisoned and where those who are guilty of crimes have a chance to tell their side of the story and to be punished in a way that allows for uh, rehabilitation and so my invitation to each of you is to ask how we can each live lives where we're quick to listen and quick to love and slow to judge. Thank you for listening to Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment 
on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.